0: The title of this morning's message is The Graces of Praying and Prophesying. The last time I ministered, I made mention of praying in the Spirit, but unfortunately I never got around to explaining very much about praying in the Spirit. I merely made mention of the fact that in my early years as a believer, I met a lot of granola Christians. fruits and flakes and nuts. (laughs) I don't know if you ever met any of those. (laughs) And these fruits and flakes and nuts would try to convince me that I needed to be able to speak in tongues as a way to complete my salvation or as a way to authenticate my salvation. Now, the term granola Christians may sound amusing, which it's intended to be. I don't know where I heard it first. But obviously this problem has been around a while. (laughs) But this calling someone a granola Christian doesn't really help us understand what they were trying to achieve. I think most of us as believers have met at one time or another, come across believers who were very zealous for the gifts of the Holy Spirit but who really didn't have a whole lot of knowledge (laughs) to go along with their zeal. (laughs) So they weren't really very convincing as to why I might want to operate in that particular gift. What I know now that I didn't know back then is that these were baby believers. (laughs) They still had their pampers on. (laughs) But back then, all I saw was someone whose life was a mess, and whose holiness seemed far from them. (laughs) And they were trying to convince me that speaking in tongues made them more spiritual than me. I remember thinking when someone's trying to convince me of speaking in tongues, and I thought, you know, if you walked in holiness, I might believe you. (laughs) If I saw the power of God in your walk, I might believe what you have to say. But because these were baby Christians, I didn't know that because I was a baby Christian and I didn't know nothing. (laughs) They didn't get very far. (laughs) Because I was in a holiness church, I wanted more than anything in the world to be holy, to be approved by my father. And unfortunately, (laughs) my church, where God put me, by the way, (laughs) taught me that holiness came out of what I did. So when someone I met was trying to convince me of the gifts of the Spirit and the importance of them, I thought, well, they should help you walk holy then. (laughs) It doesn't seem to be working for you, though. (laughs) Remember, I was a baby. (laughs) I was just as ignorant as they were. (laughs) So I wasn't interested in what they had to offer me or what they were trying to convince me of. Because more than anything, I wanted to walk in the Spirit. Now, as crazy as all this sounds... The Corinthian church of the New Testament wasn't much better. <laughs> they were full of granola Christians too. <laughs> the New Covenant church was really, really new. And many of the believers were still wearing their pampers and acting and living like unbelievers. The Apostle Paul tells us this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. I have it for you in the Passion Translation. Brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I found it impossible to speak to you as those who are spiritually mature people, for you are still dominated by the mind of the flesh. And because you are immature infants in Christ, I had to nurse you and feed you with milk, not with the solid food of more advanced teachings because you weren't ready for it. In fact, (laughs) you are still not ready to be fed solid food, for you are living your lives dominated by the mindset of the flesh. Ask yourselves, is there jealousy among you? Do you compare yourselves with others? (laughs) Do you quarrel like children and end up taking sides? If so, this proves that you are living your lives centered on yourself, dominated by the mindset, fleshhead, dominated by the mindset of the flesh, and behaving like unbelievers. When we live out of our flesh head, we can behave like an unbeliever. These new believers in, in Corinth were taking sides and promoting and taking pride in their own favorite ministers. Some of them boasted that they followed after Paul, he's, he's super spiritual. <laughs> I follow him. Others boasted, I follow Apollos, he's super spiritual. <laughs> and Paul tells them that this is basically ridiculous <laughs> because all of the ministers are gifts of God's grace to them. And we can see this further down in this chapter beginning with verse 21, again in the Passion. So don't be proud of your allegiance to any human leader. For actually, you already have everything. It has all been given for your benefit. Whether it is Paul or Apollos or Peter the rock, or whether it's the world or life or death, or whether it's present or the future, everything belongs to you. (laughs) Kind of sounds like everything for life and godliness has been granted to us through the great and precious promises of our God. Same concept. Whether it's ministers, or the graces of the Holy Spirit, it has all been given for our benefit. And just like immature believers can try to make themselves more important than others in their own eyes by following after their favorite minister, they can also do the same thing with the graces of the Holy Spirit. Now, I like to say graces of the Holy Spirit rather than gifts of the Holy Spirit. I think it better helps us understand what it is or what we participate in. All of what we call the gifts of the Holy Spirit are actually graces. The word for the gifts is charismata, charismatic, charis, grace. And the ma stands for working out, working out of the grace. (laughs) How? By the Holy Spirit. These are graces. All of what we call the gifts of the Holy Spirit are the graces of God operating through the person of the Holy Spirit as we cooperate with Him in faith. One of the ways to understand the word grace is divine enablement. The Holy Spirit enables us to partake of our Father's free favor, grace, and to participate in administering God's free favor, grace, to others. So it's all God's grace, (laughs) we don't earn any of these graces, we don't earn any of these divine enablements, and none of them are merit badges, indicating spiritual superiority. But that didn't stop the baby believers in Corinth from squabbling over them. In the same way that they tried to make themselves more important than others by favoring particular ministers, they tried to make themselves more important than others by favoring the grace of speaking in tongues. So it appears that they were making much ado about this particular grace. So the Apostle Paul needed to bring understanding that one grace doesn't trump another grace. As I said, these young believers that I met were not mature in their walk, but yet they were operating in a grace that I hadn't yet operated in. Having the Holy Spirit does not mean you're mature. <laughs> Unfortunately, not everybody knows that. (laughs) Like these baby believers in Corinth, often young believers who have experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit think that it makes them something they aren't. All of the believers in Corinth were doing this exact same thing. It's been over 2,000 years, and as baby believers, we're still doing the same stuff, (laughs) making the same mistakes, thinking, I'm all that in a bag of chips because I speak in tongues. No, honey, it doesn't work that way. (laughs) One grace does not trump another grace. All of this grace enablement is all of grace. And it's all for everyone who wants to participate in the grace. (laughs) We can see this in 1 Corinthians 12, beginning with verse 4. I have it in the King James. Now, there are diversity of gifts, but the same spirit. There are diversities of administrations. No one ever asked for that gift. (laughs) There are diversities of administrations, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. All the graces, all the divine enablements are the workings of the Holy Spirit in the life of a willing believer. Now, there are some callings and equippings that are not for everybody. Not everybody wants the gifts of administration. (laughs) Not everyone is called to be an apostle or a prophet or an evangelist. Those are callings for specific people to do a specific job. But God is still the one who graces them with whatever they need in order to walk out their specific job or calling. There's no merit here. (laughs) God doesn't call somebody because they're so wonderful. He calls people who are willing not equipped. He equips the called. (laughs) Now, there are nine graces or divine enablements of the Holy Spirit found in 1 Corinthians for everybody to operate in according to their faith, anytime and anywhere. In fact, the Holy Spirit will often work some of these graces in and through people without them even knowing it. In fact, most of the time, (laughs) these graces include the word of wisdom, God revealing what to do in a specific situation, the word of knowledge, God revealing something to us that we had no other way of knowing, and the word of prophecy. To prophesy is to simply speak under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. There are also graces that work special faith in our heart, the grace that works healings through us, and the grace that works miracles through us. They also include the grace that can discern the spirit of something, or someone the grace that speaks in various kinds of tongues and the grace that interprets tongues and every believer every believer has the ability or the potential to manifest all of these graces of the holy spirit because as believers we all possess the same holy spirit (laughs) nobody gets a little dab everybody gets all that god is Now, what people do is they go, well, I don't feel like I got anything. That's a faith issue, not a truth issue. You have to understand what God gives. He gives us all of himself. And what he told the apostles is, you need some power in your life. (laughs) You need the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. He gives you power. He gives you power to bring the grace of God through us to other people. So, where immature believers can sometimes get into trouble is in thinking that the grace manifested through them (laughs) should somehow be accredited to them. (laughs) Look what I did. (laughs) It's just like Jesus said, I don't do the works. But he did. He said, my father does the works. But yet he did it through Jesus. Same thing. <laughs> Same exact thing. We don't do these things. We participate. We get to be his partner. So when immature believers can sometimes get into trouble in, is in thinking that the grace manifested through them should somehow be accredited to them. And it's really just the fleshhead trying to take credit for the things that God does through us. Lots of believers fall into this. (laughs) It's just a big lie. Years ago, when this would happen to me, I would think that there was something really wrong with who I was. What would happen is, Satan would bring me a temptation and say, Oh, you did so good. See what you did? And my heart would go, "Ew, (laughs) Pride! ew, icky! (laughs) But all I thought was, (gasps) Evil heart! Oh, I'm so bad. How awful of a human being do I have to be to take credit for something God does? There must be something really wrong with me. (laughs) How can there be something really wrong with me and my heart is crying, God, please take this away. This is not what I want. Where does this come from? (laughs) I actually hated the feeling of pride that would occasionally rise up in my heart. What I didn't know back then is that there is a big difference between my fleshhead <laughs> and the real me. <laughs> you see, it was the real me that was crying out. It was the real me that hated it. It was the real me that didn't want it to stick around. <laughs> it wasn't coming from the real me. So I took it to the Lord. And he led me to James chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, which says this. But he giveth more grace. He giveth mega grace, oversupplying grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Easy peasy. (laughs) The Lord told me that the secret to overcoming the temptation, because that's what it was, it was a temptation to pride, was to seek more of his grace more of his divine enablement (laughs) and that by submitting myself to his grace and by giving him glory for that grace that it would cause the devil to flee from me and the temptation to pride would go with him and he was exactly right you see when you go for grace what are you admitting i can't do this (laughs) helpless here (laughs) need your help Yes, when we go to God for grace, we submit ourselves to his grace. And these kinds of temptations go right away. It's all fleshhead. The temptation came from my fleshhead and not from who I am in my heart. It's a big, big difference. And when I submitted myself to my father's view and opinion of me and his wonderful grace, the lie that I should take credit for what God had done through me was completely overcome. I saw the ridiculousness of it. (laughs) I didn't have a wicked heart. I was so happy to find out I don't have a wicked heart. I believed a wicked lie that I could feel in my heart. (laughs) And my heart didn't like it. You see, flesh-headed thinking or natural thinking embraces the lie that I am valuable or important based on what I do or what I don't do which leads to unhealthy attitudes of either pride or humiliation. My granola friends (laughs) from way back in the day, (laughs) they thought that they were somehow more spiritual, more mature, more empowered. They were more than I was. Their salvation was somehow more than what I had, which was not the truth. This is natural, flesh-headed thinking. But when I submit myself to my Heavenly Father's view and opinion of me, I find that my true value and importance comes through what Jesus has done for me. You and I are so valuable to the Father and our Jesus that they agreed to have Jesus die in our place so that we could become part of his eternal family. We have eternal value and importance apart from our performance. What I love about this is that if Satan comes around to try to give me a temptation to be proud of myself in some other way, and it's unnatural pride, not the regular good kind. (laughs) I just submit myself to my Father's mega grace, his absolutely free loving kindness, his unconditional love and acceptance of me right where I am, just as I am, and his divine influence comes and influences my heart. I resist Satan's lies by submitting myself to my Father's truth. And the truth is, my value to God is not based on whether or not I operate in one of the nine graces of the Holy Spirit. But God wants us, for our own good and the good of others, to cooperate with the Holy Spirit in faith and to let him release his power and grace through us. Now, as the title of my message implies, I'm only going to be dealing with the graces of speaking in tongues, interpretation of tongues, and prophesying. Even this was way too big. (laughs) I was like, oh, I have to leave so much out. (laughs) Now, I want to start with the scripture where Paul finds some disciples that needed their understanding updated and empowered. I have it for you in the ESV, Acts 19, beginning with verse 1. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples. And he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. <laughs> These disciples were disciples of John who prophesied that the Messiah was coming. So they understood Jesus was Messiah. How many you know that's not enough for salvation? You need a little more than that, right? (laughs) They did not yet know about the born-again experience. And he said to them, into what were you baptized? Now he's talking about water baptism. They said, into John's baptism. And Paul explains to them, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, a change of mind, turning away from the way you used to live, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him. That is, Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in water <laughs> in the name of the Lord Jesus. Baptism was a big deal for Jews. They had these ritual cleansings. They were baptisms. It was you were immersed as symbolic of getting rid of your sins. Same thing. Christians were not the first ones to have baptisms. <laughs> if somebody came to Judaism was a convert they had baptism just like christians do because it was an outward display of an inward truth they were turning their back on their old way of life and being dead to it and coming into a new life of judaism so that's the kind of baptisms they were experiencing (laughs) so they were baptized again this is jewish very jewish (laughs) into a baptism of jesus so they were talking about water baptism Water baptism, however, will not wash away your sins. (laughs) It's an outward expression of an inward truth. Verse 6, And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. I underline, and prophesying. (laughs) Because when most people quote this verse to substantiate the validity of speaking in tongues when receiving the Holy Spirit, they leave off and prophesying. (laughs) And prophesying is simply speaking in our own known language by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. I regularly see Christians do this. (laughs) They speak by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and half the time they have no idea they're doing it. The only reason I know that is because the Holy Spirit in me discerns it. You see, my little peanut brain cannot discern the Holy Spirit. Only the Holy Spirit can bring to my attention, look, they're talking by the Holy Spirit. (laughs) They don't even know it. (laughs) That's a grace. And the Holy Spirit operates that in me without my even asking. Amen. (laughs) Just a few weeks ago, Mary came up to me after service to share with me something the Lord had showed her. And as she was testifying to the goodness of God, she started releasing the anointing, the power of the Holy Spirit. She was just squirting Jesus everywhere. (laughs) And I told her, do you know what you're doing here? (laughs) You're oozing Jesus all over the place. (laughs) And she's like, I am? (laughs) Yes. Yes, she was squirting Jesus everywhere. Believers do this all the time, and they don't know they do it, especially when you're testifying to the goodness of a good, good father. It has, he releases power. We speak in faith about our God, our Father, our Jesus. The Holy Spirit says, yes, and amen, I'm going to verify that. He releases his power, even if we don't feel it, especially if we don't feel it. <laughs> that was prophesying she was speaking under the unction of the holy spirit not knowing she was speaking under the unction of the holy spirit in her own language this is important (laughs) before i ever knew about tongues i knew god talked through me i would be telling somebody about jesus and all of a sudden i could just stand back and watch jesus go to work i was like wow you're good because <laughs> I knew I had nothing to actually do with it. He was just happen to use me like a glove. Here, let me move you around. <laughs> it was all by the unction of the Holy Spirit in me, and it's just as valid as an indication that you are filled with the Spirit as speaking in tongues. Woo! <laughs> It's important that we understand that speaking in tongues is not a badge. (laughs) It's a grace. It's a grace we can participate in, but usually we have to do it on purpose (laughs) because we have to cooperate in faith. In fact, speaking in tongues operates the same way as prophesying. Years ago, of course, I had heard lots of messages on receiving the Holy Spirit I knew I had the Holy Spirit, but my church taught me an incomplete salvation. Born again, not completely saved, <laughs> must have the indwelling Holy Spirit to get rid of original sin. So, when you get those two, then you're really saved. So, I had a very unusual <laughs> indoctrination. <laughs> I mean, I was one of those people that I watched everything on TV, I got every book I could get my hand on, I wanted to understand and um, i tried to receive the holy spirit okay god here i am fill me (laughs) so i'm standing there my tongue hanging out (laughs) trying to get god to make me speak in tongues i didn't know (laughs) it looked that way when other people got it you know when they operated in that gift i was like yeah okay if you don't want me to have it that's okay with me I don't know that it's all that valuable anyway. (laughs) But I said to him, I said, but I want to understand it. I don't care if I have it or not. I want to understand it. Why do people get so mad about speaking in tongues? And they do. Out of all the graces of the Holy Spirit, if you want to start a fight, (laughs) bring up speaking in tongues. (laughs) because just like the early believers, they used it as a badge of authentication. And it wasn't. (laughs) Paul even tells them, speaking in tongues and prophesying, speaking by the Holy Spirit, is equal. It's equal. It does the same stuff. (laughs) So what happened was one Sunday night when we would have testimony service, God gave me a testimony. Go up in front of people and tell them what I did. Okay, so I go up there, and all of a sudden, I start my speaking, and again, I realize, no longer me talking. (laughs) It's like, oh, there you are again. (laughs) And he goes, this is the same as speaking in tongues. He says, you can't get up here and just have your mouth wide open and expect me to say something through you. (laughs) You actually have to talk. (laughs) If you don't speak, he won't either. (laughs) When we speak, the words are empowered and supplied by the Holy Spirit even if we're talking in our own language. <laughs> but if we don't open our mouth and speak, he can't. It's a divine cooperation. It doesn't normally feel powerful. You see, what was happening to me was God was showing me by the Holy Spirit what I was doing, that he was prophesying. I was speaking by the unction of the Holy Spirit. Now, I speak by the unction of the Holy Spirit all the time. But just like Mary, I don't feel it. <laughs> I don't know it unless holy spirit tells me you see being able to discern the spirit the holy spirit and those that are not of the holy spirit (laughs) is a gift a grace of the holy spirit we can ask for it i want to be able to tell the difference between me and the holy spirit years ago i heard lester summer say the more mature you grow in christ the less you need to feel the Holy Spirit. He says, the idea is for you to understand and operate by promise, by knowledge, by understanding that the Holy Spirit is always at work through you. Always. And that you are always anointed. (laughs) What are we anointed with? The Holy Spirit and his power. Jesus told the disciples, you wait till Pentecost. Why? Because you're going to be anointed with the Holy Spirit and power. Now, he had breathed on them after he rose from the dead, received the Holy Spirit. They didn't get born again. They received the Holy Spirit at work in them to preserve them, to get them <laughs> over to where they needed to be, get the power, and that God could start the, preaching the gospel. God is always at work even if we don't understand that he's at work. We have to understand that we are little Jesuses. And he's trying to make us into big Jesuses. (laughs) He wants us to operate just like Jesus by the conversation. So unfortunately, a lot of young believers think the anointing is something you feel all the time, and you don't have to do anything unless you feel it. (laughs) No. (laughs) We live by faith. We live by his voice. You see, he does always talk to us. He speaks to us in our flesh head. <laughs> he speaks to us in our brain. And the more we submit ourselves to God's grace, the more we're going to operate out of the mind of Christ. He starts to take over the flesh head. This becomes uh, weightier. Our default, the more we understand, oh, all I got to do is choose Jesus. Call on his name. Why? right there (laughs) we don't have to get ourselves clean we don't have to fast and pray for days and days and days instantaneous help of the holy spirit always speaking jesus was anointed with the holy spirit (laughs) that's why they called him christ anointed with the holy spirit so are we what i like for people to understand is that you don't always feel what god wants you to do but he will speak to you when god gives tells me to give a tongue at church i get this unction like somebody stood up on the inside and there's not enough room in there <laughs> it's him poking me come on this is what i want you to do i want to talk through you so he gives me some kind of unction usually he'll tell me i want you to give a tongue after this <laughs> i don't operate by feelings emotions i operate by unction of the holy spirit it is different Okay, my feelings could say, I want to testify. Perfectly fine. (laughs) You want to testify? Yes and amen, we'll let you. (laughs) But unction is about God doing something through you. I bet Mary had an unction to come tell me about her testimony. Yeah, something on the inside of her said, you should go tell Pastor Valerie. (laughs) Unction. (laughs) We have an unction from the Holy One. So we don't want to trust our emotions. Usually when people say, I feel the Lord or I sense, I like to use the word sense because people get confused when we use the word feel. You know? Can we sometimes sense him physically? Absolutely. But it's a different kind of sensing than in the natural. Now, some people manifest their prayer language quite easily. I've seen five-year-olds. <laughs> you are like, how do you do that? <laughs> I was not one of them. <laughs> I did everything hard. <laughs> I had so much unbelief. I had so much wrong indoctrination. I had so much blocking my faith. It was supposed to be a badge. You had to earn it. All this wrong teaching. I understood it. Okay, that works the same way how do I get it going? (laughs) God had to answer a whole bunch of questions for me. He had to take me step by painful step, (laughs) question after painful question, and lead me into manifesting this particular grace. And it was all God's idea. I wasn't pressured by another person to manifest this particular grace. In fact, my church at the time frowned greatly (laughs) on praying and speaking in tongues. They said, unless you're a missionary, it's of the devil. (laughs) Well, I was a baby Christian. I don't know nothing. They're the experts, right? (laughs) I found out they didn't always know what they were talking about. (laughs) Years later, I found out that at least half the congregation was operating in this grace they weren't at church (laughs) so it was real hush hush do you speak in tongues? no okay good (laughs) so it took a long time because i really thought god was going to make me talk it's funny because some people just receive so easy this grace and it was like pulling teeth for me (laughs) and so i told god i said okay god because I don't want get, to get a demon. See, my church told me if you ask for the Holy Spirit, you could accidentally get a demon. What? <laughs> Jesus specifically says that won't happen. <laughs> but when you have that kind of indoctrination, it sticks around. Come on, you can do this, you can do this. Say what I tell you to say. See, it's the same thing. Prophesying, saying what God says. Speaking and tongues, saying what God says, same thing, different operation. So I said, "Okay, if you give me a word in faith, I will say it." <laughs> and he gave me two syllables, ah, ba, and I said. I can't, I can't, I can't. <laughs> I said, what if I'm accidentally blaspheming the Holy Spirit? What if I'm accidentally you know, hearing a demon? What if I'm accidentally doing this or the other? He's like, oh. oh. <laughs> you ever hear Jesus groan at you? <laughs> that was me. <laughs> and I said, Lord, if you will prove to me that that's a real word, I'll say it. A couple hours go by and God says, Turn on the radio. So turn on the radio. And there's a man there explaining the word. Ah. Wah. <laughs> oh, it's a word. <laughs> oh, You're so funny, God. <laughs> you gave me a real word when I asked for one. <laughs> and that began. <laughs> my dipping into the grace of speaking in tongues. So, I would try to let the Holy Spirit speak to me, through me. Abba. Abba. (laughs) Abba. (laughs) He's like, no, no, no. Turn your flesh head off. (laughs) You see, because my flesh head was going, this is the stupidest thing ever. You really think there's power in this? It's one word for Pete's sakes! (laughs) You know how many syllables you need to have a language? Two. You can use the same word, same syllables, over and over and over and over and over, and the Holy Spirit can turn it into a language. Computer language is two symbols. Still a language! So that's where God was convincing me, no, this is really real and it really works, but it took a long time. I was thinking about speaking in tongues one day, and God said, go ahead and speak gobbledygook right now. Come on. I was like, oh, 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 I can't. He goes, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Gobbledygook comes out of your head. <laughs> Holy Spirit comes out of your spirit. You can hear the Holy Spirit inside of you, sometimes in the mind of Christ. You can hear him talking, not just in English. And he wants us to step out in faith, in cooperation and in sync and let him pray through us. So, I found out if I worshipped, see, that was really a hard case. I found out if I worshipped God, you see, worship stirs us up. Holy Spirit never needs to be stirred up. Ever. He's always on. <laughs> we we need to be stirred up. Why do we worship? So we stir up our spirit in the Holy Spirit so the Holy Spirit can do stuff. <laughs> so I would worship, and I could easily fall into praying in the Spirit. But I found that when there was no music, I struggled. <laughs> so God said, you have to do it on purpose. You have to step out in faith, even if, there, even if you don't feel it. You see, he wanted to get me past the feeling part. Worship stirs you up. doesn't stir up Holy Spirit. So we feel all stirred up. So then we enter in by faith really easily. But what if there's no worship music? (laughs) I was like, oh, I can't do it, Jesus. I can't do it. (laughs) And he says, step by step, turn off your flesh, head." Stop trying to figure out what it is you're saying. (laughs) And just let the Holy Spirit go. Step by step, step by step. Finally learned I could just lean on Jesus and the Holy Spirit would come forth. It was that easy the whole time. (laughs) But my stupid flesh head was in the way preventing me all of the time. Now, there are four different operations of the grace of speaking in tongues that can be seen in the New Testament. I will try to go fast. (laughs) The first one I want you to see is the original outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Acts 2, beginning with verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues, as of fire, appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven, poured part. (laughs) And at this sound the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? The apostles and those who were with him were speaking unlearned, known languages perfectly. That's why they're saying, hey, these are Galileans, they should have an accent. (laughs) But this was a sign for unbelieving Jews, not the believers. This was a sign, known languages, speaking by the unction of the Holy Spirit, declaring the mighty works of God, probably all about Jesus. <laughs> okay? Now this is important because according to their oral traditions, they believe that God delivered the Ten Commandments from uh, Mount Sinai. And when he did, he sent out tongues of fire, his voice of fire, to 70 nations. These 70 nations miraculously received the Ten Commandments, the knowledge of his law. So the idea of tongues of fire and many different languages was not a foreign concept to these Jews. It was, in fact, a sign meant specifically for them, to help them believe that Jesus was who Peter was going to tell them he was. In 1 Corinthians 14, verse 22, part A, it says this, Wherefore tongues are for a sign not to them that believe but to them that believe not this kind of speaking was the public use of known earthly languages not previously learned by the speaker but was completely understood and verified by the hearer and it's usually regarded as one of the graces that missionaries need although I've met very few that ever said they had it. <laughs> but doesn't mean we can't find evidence of it at work still today. I've heard many, many testimonies of this kind of miracle. John Bevere, he's a famous charismatic minister, and he tells a story of this very same type. One of the times when he was ministering the word, one of his staff members who travels with him felt compelled to pray in the spirit at the back of the building. She was very quiet. She was praying in a whisper, again, at the back of the building. She wasn't interfering with anybody. After the message was over, a professor of the French language came up to her and complimented her on her perfect ancient dialect in French, (laughs) and when she confessed she had no knowledge of French, (laughs) he was in awe. He told her that she quoted the scriptures in French before the minister ever told the people where to turn in their Bibles. She thought she was just exercising her own prayer language. Unbeknownst to her, God wanted to use her to convince an unbeliever who was present the reality of who he is and the reality of his power. And that guy became a believer because he heard by accident somebody speaking in an ancient French dialect that nobody else in the world would understand but him. (laughs) <laughs> that's god <laughs> the next two types of speaking in other tongues is addressed in the beginning of 1 corinthians 14 verse 2 it says this for the one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to god now is he um contradicting himself no Diverse kinds of tongues paul said if i speak in the uh, language of earth air of angels heavenly language earthly language Diverse kinds of tongues for different purposes. So he's not contradicting himself. When we uh, pray, we are communicating with God. But no one understands us when we use our spiritual language without interpretation. But it says he utters mysteries in the spirit. This is our personal prayer, praise, worship, intercession, declaration, speaking the mysteries, and building ourselves up in our most holy faith language. (laughs) It does all of that! (laughs) This language provides us with words that are inspired by the Holy Spirit and that come out of our spirit by faith. They don't come out of our flesh head or our natural mind. I can pray in the Spirit and my brain be a million miles away. Or when I'm praying in the Spirit, I start to hear what God's trying to convey to me. He gives me interpretation. Just depends what I'm doing with my brain at the moment. Our prayer language comes out of our spirit. The Holy Spirit ministers to us. We activate it and bring forth what God is saying. So it's us talking to and with God. Some people want to get real fussy and say, it has to be a prayer to God for an interpretation. They have all kinds of legalistic rules about how this is supposed to work. (laughs) And yet I just go with the Holy Spirit. I figure he knows best. (laughs) If he says interpret, then he wants to interpret. And it's usually a message for the people, not a prayer to God. So when we use our prayer language, we don't need an interpreter. I pray in the Spirit when I worship. I don't need someone to interpret that for me. It's not for everybody else. So that's why Paul has to tell them, don't forbid to speak in tongues, because speaking in tongues was causing a big fight. Everyone was trying to show off (laughs) their badge, (laughs) their authentication. See me, see me, see me, hear me, hear me, hear me. And if you go to some charismatic churches, you will find the same thing, the same behavior, because they don't know that it's not a badge. (laughs) Also, (laughs) When speaking in tongues, it doesn't need a lot of volume to be effective. (laughs) Unfortunately, over the years, I've been unfortunate enough to be standing in front of somebody who thought that if you're going to pray in the Spirit, you have to yell it so that everybody can benefit from the fact that you're praying in the Spirit. (laughs) Unfortunately, when you yell your prayer language, nobody else gets to pray. (laughs) <laughs> and it doesn't help. <laughs> it doesn't help them. It doesn't have the people next to them. Nobody needs to be yelling. <laughs> there are some people and churches that do get very bent out of shape when people exercise their prayer language at church. But I think it's really only because they don't understand that there are diverse kinds of tongues, just like I was saying, different languages for different purposes. <laughs> but there are also some who are so certain that these gifts have passed away, that they go to extreme measures in an effort to discredit them. About a million years ago, (laughs) I had a friend (laughs) who was an American Indian who could speak her tribal language. And she was part of my holiness church. So she didn't believe in speaking in tongues. And she told me this story about how she made a fool of all those charismatic Christians. She went to one of their churches And she stood up, and she spoke in her native language, under the guise that she was accessing the grace of her prayer language. She said that when she finished, she sat down, and she waited for the so-called interpretation. (laughs) And then there was a really, really, really long pause. Nobody stood up to interpret. Imagine that. (laughs) Finally, someone stood up and said something like this. Those who play at the gifts of the Holy Spirit should take pause because they could unknowingly do great damage to themselves. When she told me this, I was like, oh, God said that to you? And she's like, no, that wasn't God. You're playing at the gifts of the Holy Spirit and you don't think that pertains to you? (laughs) Seriously? (laughs) She said, no, that wasn't the interpretation. And I thought, there are none so blind, as those who will not see. God spoke to her through somebody who was kind enough to point out that she was a fake, (laughs) and she really shouldn't be doing that. (laughs) I tried to point out that it might, might have been the Holy Spirit, and she's like, no wasn't that wasn't the interpretation she wasn't going to listen she had already closed her mind to the operation of the holy spirit in that way now there are also spiritual languages or tongues used in a public meeting for the purpose for the express purpose (laughs) of ministering to the people who are present and those tongues do need an interpreter Often the, the tongue will sound very different from your usual prayer language. Here, I like for people to get a microphone. One, we know what you're doing. <laughs> you don't have to yell. <laughs> I have had people very zealously praying in the Spirit, and you, you don't know what they're doing. Are you going to give a tongue, or are you not going to give a tongue? Are you just happy? <laughs> I can't tell. <laughs> and when somebody has the unction to give a, a tongue, I ask them to come get a, a microphone. It's the same thing when you get an unction to prophesy. We've taught, Michelle. We know you do this. <laughs> we know you speak by the Holy Spirit. Come up and get the microphone. Not everybody can hear you. And that's the whole point of a tongue interpretation, is that the people here should hear you. Not that you should hear yourself. <laughs> We're here to hear what God is saying by the unction of the Holy Spirit like I said, when God uses me this way, he tells me in advance. (laughs) And yes, I can do that. One of the mistakes that young believers don't understand is that they think they have no control over what they do. God's going to make them speak, and God's going to make them speak right now, (laughs) and it doesn't matter what else is going on, I'm going to have to interrupt because the Holy Spirit is giving me unction. No. (laughs) The spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. And the word prophet there does not mean someone who has the office of prophet. It is the person who is prophesying, the one who is operating by the unction of the Holy Spirit. There's an office of prophet, that's different. (laughs) Every person who has the unction of the Holy Spirit has the ability to say no thank you. Now that sounds a little strange, doesn't it? (laughs) Okay. Every once in a while when I go to a different place, Uh, for a seminar or a conference or something, I've had the Holy Spirit go, let's give a tongue. And it's like, "Ah, no. (laughs) Why would I say no? Because if I haven't cleared it with the leadership, I need to. Part of operating in the gifts is to do everything decently and in order, in an orderly manner. We don't want 12 people popping up like popcorn. Everybody speaking in tongues at the same time. That's not the point. (laughs) <laughs> the point is, the Holy Spirit wants to speak through us. So the first time this happened, Mark and I went to Canada, and I was like, I don't know these people. And some grace people don't operate in the gifts of the Spirit. And I was like, I don't know if they do that here. <laughs> and I didn't know who to ask. So I didn't. God's not mad. God's always teaching you stuff, even if you don't think he is. <laughs> We go to another conference. Holy Spirit says, let's give a tongue. Oh, Lord. (laughs) Now I have to find somebody in leadership. This time I knew who it was, so I went and asked. I have this unction. Should I or shouldn't I? Pastor gets to decide. It's his meeting. (laughs) He can say, I'd rather you not. No big deal. We're always learning. The spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. He never has us out of control. We're always going to operate in love and decently and in order. I gave a tongue. (laughs) And then nobody interpreted. (laughs) You said, I used to be afraid. Okay, I'll give a tongue, Lord. I don't want to have to interpret. (laughs) You see, if I speak in tongues, you don't know what I said. (laughs) If I get it wrong... Nobody knows. (laughs) But if I interpret and it's not right, people will notice. (laughs) And for me, the way God does this is he'll give me the same three words. My will is, or this is what I want you to say. And then nothing. He keeps repeating the same part. That means he wants me to interpret. (laughs) So I have to step out in faith, not knowing what somebody just said in tongues, and he tells me. But he tells me little bit by little bit because I have to operate in faith. Now, sometimes when I am giving a tongue, Holy Spirit is interpreting (laughs) while I'm giving it. As it's coming out of my mouth, I'm going, oh, oh, it means that. Oh, okay. <laughs> He's always teaching us. He rarely does the same thing twice. <laughs> He's always growing us up and so that we understand these things. When I speak in a tongue in church, it usually sounds differently than my normal prayer language. That's all up to God. I just go with the flow. <laughs> it doesn't matter. <laughs> now, interpreting. People are afraid of Interpreting they're afraid they're going to get it wrong (laughs) it operates by faith and love and it doesn't matter if you get it wrong do you believe me (laughs) when we are operating in faith it doesn't matter the words we use (laughs) sometimes my temptation is to help god he's telling me something and i want to explain more of what he's telling you (laughs) so it would be wrong if you want to call it that for me to add my own explanation <laughs> it doesn't matter as long as we're saying what he wants us to say, generally speaking. <laughs> okay? Because my temptation is to help. Well, I should give a scripture there and I should do this. I start turning into pastor mode. <laughs> Holy Spirit says, No, I don't need any help from you. (laughs) Just go with the flow. Just say what I tell you to say. And even if we were to say it wrong, he has a way of making it all right. You see, he doesn't want anybody to be afraid of interpreting. When you get that little poke in your belly, he says, I want you to interpret. (laughs) He wants you to step out in faith and do it a lot of people misunderstand interpretation interpretation is not translation (laughs) people used to get very upset someone would have a tongue maybe only what sounded like one sentence but the interpreter would get up and go on for 15 minutes they were probably helping a little bit (laughs) but that's okay what were they doing they were explaining what that person said. They were interpreting, not translating. You say, we understand translating. You say, see, I say, yes, same thing. That's not interpreting, that's translating. Imagine for a minute, if you had to explain to somebody what a nail was, who had never seen a nail, had never even heard the word nail. How would you interpret? that for them this is a problem a missionary had who was a translator one of the whitcliffe translators. they went to a place where people had no nails had no word for nails and they're trying to explain that jesus was nailed to a tree (laughs) how do you do that without a word for it you have to interpret what they would understand a nail to be so what actually happened to that particular missionary is he prayed for a nail in some faraway place where they didn't have any nails somebody sent them a missions box and in a can of peas there was a nail (laughs) god knows what you're going to ask for before you do (laughs) and he can get it to you (laughs) that's what interpretation is if you look at the greek word it includes expounding expounding can go on for a long time (laughs) now the apostle paul puts his discussion regarding the speaking of tongues interspersed with his discussion regarding prophesying on purpose because they're related. Verse 3 of uh, chapter 14. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding, encouragement, and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds himself up on your most holy faith, (laughs) but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you all Now, see, this is important. He says, I want you all to speak in tongues. You have the grace already. It takes faith. (laughs) You can if you want to. You don't have to. But he says, I want you all to speak in tongues. But even more, prophesy. Because prophecy, prophesying, encourages the whole body. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongue. Not a good translation. <laughs> the person is not greater. The gift operates in a more effective way. In a meeting. That's what they're talking about. In a meeting. Unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. To prophesy is to speak what you hear the Holy Spirit saying. For that moment and for those people. Like Mark often says, some of the things we say are not for the whole world. And you won't hear them on that's why the Apostle Paul says that prophesying is greater or more profitable than speaking in tongues. Tongues alone builds up one person. Tongues and interpretation can build up and encourage all those that are in the meeting. So Paul equates the message in tongues with interpretation as having the same value or effect as prophesying. In other words, it's supposed to do the same thing. Now, one of the things that many believers don't know about speaking and interpreting tongues and prophesying is that someone is supposed to judge the veracity of the content. This also makes people afraid. (laughs) But this is for the protection, correction, and confirmation. (laughs) Often when Michelle has a word, I don't have to confirm it. When she gives up and gives an encouragement word, Because I go, oh, that's in the message. (laughs) She'll get her confirmation here shortly. (laughs) And that's usually what you have happen in a service, is that what is being brought forth is usually also going to be confirmed in the message, or vice versa. Verse 26 in the same chapter says this, What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for the building up. Verse 27, if any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or three at the most, each in turn, and let each one interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them be silent in the church and speak to himself in God. And that's an interesting thing, isn't it? He says if, if you know there's no interpreter there, <laughs> someone who usually operates in that gift, then you shouldn't, unless you want to do verse 13, <laughs> which says, therefore, The one who speaks in the tongue should pray that he may interpret. You see, it isn't the person doing it. It's what the Holy Spirit is doing through them. I don't have knowledge of your spiritual language. Holy Spirit does. Holy Spirit tells me, and then I tell you. It's not me at all. (laughs) That's the point. (laughs) Continuing, verse 29 that two or three prophets speak, and the prophets here means those who are prophesying, those who are operating in the spoken gifts of the Spirit, and let others weigh in in what is said. In other words, somebody's supposed to say yes and amen or not. If the revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy. You can all prophesy. You can all speak by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit so that all may learn and be encouraged. You all have the same Holy Spirit, and he speaks to you uniquely. He speaks through you uniquely, because that's what it is. It's the grace of God at work through us by the Holy Spirit. We're just like the glove. He's the hand. (laughs) He does all the work. He does all the power. He gives you the words. He does that, but he can't do it without you. The early church encouraged participation by everyone. They didn't have... This kind of setup, where one person does most of the talking. Theirs is more like a Sunday school class, (laughs) where you could argue. (laughs) Everyone was encouraged because everyone had the Holy Spirit. And Paul knows you need to exercise those gifts, those divine enablements, the Holy Spirit in us and through us, not just for ourselves, but for the good of the church. One of the things that people don't understand is that The reason leadership needs to quote-unquote judge the word is because of my crazy Indian friend. (laughs) People that come into your assembly and they want to say God is saying something that God would never say. They're trying to defraud people. They're trying to mislead people. You see, whoever stood up and spoke that to her was speaking by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He tried to correct her thinking. She would have none of it. So instead of there being no interpretation, God responded through somebody who was listening. And what that does is that tells everybody else what the leadership agrees to. If somebody were to get up and prophesy that President Trump is going to die next week, (laughs) okay, that's not the kind of thing God goes around telling people. (laughs) I've heard people get up and slam congregations. You all are big sinners. You're all going to go to hell if you don't repent. You're all this, you're all that. And it's not from God, it's their own flesh head being self-righteous. And so what the leadership is supposed to do is to say yay or nay. (laughs) And if somebody were to do that, the leadership needs to say, thank you so much for sharing. You can sit down now. (laughs) I don't have to blast them. I don't have to dishonor them. They may be a baby granola Christian. (laughs) I can say thank you, That's, that's sufficient and then just ignore it. Because by me doing that, by me shutting them down, everyone else says, oh, leadership doesn't like that. That's a good thing. That's why leadership is supposed to amen the tongues and interpretation. And I try to remember to do that. I don't always remember. But I try to go, y'all heard God. Y'all verifies in my spirit. Y'all did good. (laughs) Because you need to know that I know you're operating by the Holy Spirit. Okay. Now, if somebody operates outside of what is theologically correct, it's our responsibility to say, that's very nice of you to share, please have a seat. (laughs) It's for the protection of the body. And in the present day, that usually falls on the leadership. All of us are in the process of growing in grace and the knowledge of our Lord. And the more we grow in grace, the more faith takes hold of what our Father's grace has already provided. He has provided each of us with the person of the Holy Spirit to divinely enable us to pray and preach and prophesy and worship and intercede and love and share and care and to make a difference. It's all about Him through us. What I want you to come away with today is a reminder of who and what you really possess. We possess God himself with all of his glory and power and he wants to share all of who he is in us with us and through us all by his divine empowerments of the holy spirit these graces or divine enablements are not merit badges that imply someone is more spiritual than someone else we are in fact all equally spiritual we all have the same jesus the same father and the same holy spirit we may have different callings and giftings for those equippings but we are all equally spiritual the difference we see amongst believers are because not all have the same understanding of who our father is who our jesus is and who our holy spirit is not everyone in the church understands the magnitude of god's grace and how he wants to use that grace in us through us for the whole world amen father god i thank you for your word I thank you that you're very specific, Father, and it's a good thing. Otherwise, we'd go around making stuff up. (laughs) We thank you, Father God, that you call us to be your partner, but you call us to do it in love. Even in your word, you, you talk about gifts, you talk about the love chapter, and then you talk about gifts again because it's all about who you are and how much you want to love people through us. Father God, we thank you for these opportunities, that you give us opportunity to access these graces and that we can access all of them. And Lord, we access them all the time and we not even know we're doing it. (laughs) We thank you, Father God. The Holy Spirit is so adept at taking care of us, of helping us to see things the way you see things. We thank you, Father God, for these graces. We thank you that we get to use them for your glory. And we thank you in Jesus' name, amen.